0: Welcome to I Read Manifestos, the podcast where I, Matthew Luke, hold politicians to account over some of the things that they say before elections in regards to what they write in their manifestos, or some of the pledges that they make in the media, or through some of the the social media channels that they might engage in. This is episode one, entitled Words. I wanted to start by just saying a little bit about myself and explaining why I wanted to get started in speaking. First of all, apologies for some of the creaking that you might hear. That's because of the microphone that I'm using is attached to a headset. Part of this is just to get my voice Partly for me, partly for people that I might point at this and say look this is the kind of thing that I say, this is the kind of thing that I think, but partly because I don't hear this kind of thing said and I think it's important to be said. So I apologise, the audio quality isn't great, I do hope that that will improve over time, but I hope to offer this podcast without sponsorship it will be off my own back so I, I suppose to a certain degree uh, if you do choose to listen do please bear in mind I'm doing this from you know a room in suburbia and with very little audio experience although obviously as time t- time will tell that might get better so a little bit about me I'm in my early 30s I have three kids I'm a member of the Labour Party Although that doesn't necessarily define my politics. I, I, my politics are my politics, and, and that, that puts me in the Labour Party rather than vice versa. I'm a socialist at heart, and I'm a Democrat, and I'm a Liberal. So you could almost take one of those words out and put me in the Liberal Democrats. Or, as it happens, take one of the words out and put me in the Labour Party. As it, as it happens, I find myself in the Labour Party. And I'm happy where I am. I'm also a Roman Catholic. And when I say that, uh, people often look at me and say, H- how can you be Roman Catholic and left-wing? Um, we have a history in this country, uh, Great Britain, uh, United Kingdom. We have a history in this country of right-wing Catholicism and on matters of morality, on matters of bioethics, of life and morals, I suppose in a sense those things have often aligned themselves with the conservative right, but in the individual those things express themselves independently of any political spectrum. And so for me, I am both pro-life and an egalitarian, liberal, democratic, socialist. And that puts me at odds sometimes with members of my own party. But I hope, in a friendly manner... Uh, Because on single issues we can disagree. But it's important that we agree on the majority of things. Because, like I said, my politics defines what party I find myself in. But my religion doesn't necessarily define my politics. It's part of who I am. But it is not entirely who I am. The social teaching of the church is important. And the principles of the church are important one of the most important principles of the church is that we as individuals are able to exercise our own consciences and we live our lives as individuals in this world. So, in that sense, my Catholicism informs my socialism and my democracy and my socialism informs my Catholicism. So that's a little bit about me. Over the period of time that this podcast covers... I would like to speak about some of the things that interest me. Whether that's local politics, national events, international events, the effects of democracy, the interaction of socialism with uh, business in the real world. You know, I'm not talking about intellectual socialism. I'm talking about how one can live a social life in a capitalist world. And liberal principles in Great Britain, where we are much happier, to use the word liberal, to what might be a worldwide audience who might see liberal as a dirty word and we'll get to that later. I think on the local side of things, I, I think most of my listeners might start off local, but as the way the internet works, um I've seen from some of the blogs that I put up, you, you get people from all over the world, just popping by to read the strangest things um, that are so local in their scope, but people could pop by and have a read anyway um because once it's out there, it's out there, and so part of this is to just put my words out there into um into the internet and to see what comes back to to stand on the virtual hilltop and to speak and to see what happens. And so I've started this podcast with two topics that I'll speak about a little bit later which I love which don't get much coverage. And I suppose the title I read manifestos. Manifestos are often quite boring documents, focused on by reporters and the political in-crowd, but they're supposed to be an advertisement for the wares of the politicians that crafted the policy platform which the manifesto is espousing. And putting together a manifesto is not an easy task, you almost have to predict how people are going to view things down the road because you're you're putting together a, p- a policy platform for the period of your government or in a local sense for your leadership over four or five years or whatever it may be which will see sometimes cataclysmic changes but people are going to hold you to account if i take if I take the national example in the UK and just just briefly because I want to cover this at a later date there is a little thing called the the Salisbury Agreement or one of the Salisbury Conventions which dictates in as much that any constitutional feature of the United Kingdom in its unwritten sense can dictate anything dictates that the House of Lords cannot block permanently any manifesto pledge of a duly elected government. So if you put it in your manifesto and then you're duly elected by the people, the House of Lords won't won't block it. But that means you have to make sure that you put in your manifesto what you want to actually put through. Because if it actually turns out that you put in your manifesto something and then you change it significantly or substantially, I suppose what the word would be, or materially, the House of Lords would have grounds to say this isn't what you put in your manifesto. Terribly sorry, dear boy. We're gonna we're gonna block it anyway. Or if you try and put through things in your government that you didn't put in your manifesto, you might have wanted to have put them in your manifesto, but you didn't think that they were going to be palatable to the general public at an election time, or if you suggested in your manifesto they were going to be there or if you had announced them in your press releases but you hadn't put them in a manifesto that's not covered in the Salisbury Declaration or Salisbury Agreement so in a roundabout way a manifesto is actually a constitutional document uh, of the United Kingdom so uh, less so at a, a local level but definitely a national level so, whilst reporters and the political in-crowd uh, do take great pains to, to go over them, generally at general election time, and we generally we hear about them a little bit in between, I really do actually like reading them, um, and I like going back over old ones. Um, I tried to blog about it, but actually with three kids, getting a chance to write, and I'm not an actual writer. Um, hence this podcast because I tend to be able to talk a lot more easily than I can write so I'll probably be talking a lot more about some historical manifestos and going over how some of them get maligned a lot more than they necessarily should have been but anyway on to the the main meat of this episode one just words really just words. We're social creatures and social creatures have to communicate and we communicate with words primarily at least. We communicate as well through touch and body language and smell and other ways. But words are our primary forms of communication, but words carry meaning, and those meanings do change over time. And I suppose in my teenage years I was a bit of a curmudgeon when it came to my view on words. I was a dictionary snob. I thought the words should Stay exactly as they had always meant and they should never change their meanings. And so a little bit of that has kept with me. I I recognise now that words do change their meanings and words must change their meanings because the times do change. But like with so many things, I think there's a both and. Words both have an original meaning and must change with the time and we must recognise both their original meaning and the meaning that they have come to bear and i think dictionaries do a reasonable job these days of trying to to keep up whilst also trying to 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 bear in mind original meanings so i wanted to look at three words three words that i use reasonably regularly to define myself as this is the the first Podcast where I'm putting my words out to the world, and so I've gone to Dictionary.com, a fairly uh, global dictionary, and it's the one that that, that Google seems to favour. Um, probably be speaking more on Google in a later podcast, <laughs> but Dictionary.com says the following about the word liberal: adjective, one, favourable to progress or reform as in political or religious affairs I love that definition I love that definition of liberal favourable to progress or reform it, it places it as the opposite of small c conservative and uh, in that sense I think it is. it makes it so forward looking and I tend not to see it as as a bad thing, I suppose I would always temper it by that there is always a small C conservative buried deep within me, um, because I do, as I, I said with words, that you know that they have these old meanings. There's as a, as a, bo- a both and. Um, I, I think it's important to to have reform, but it's also important to realise the principles on which you're basing your reform. There's no point reforming away. The reasons why say a service exists or reforming away the reasons why uh, you're doing anything in the first place so favorable to progress or reform as in political or religious affairs I suppose religious is important as a Roman Catholic like I said earlier I do believe that progress is important that reform is important in the Roman Catholic Church the church cannot stand still. The world is changing, so the church needs to change. But that doesn't mean the foundations on which the church was founded need to change. And I don't want to take this podcast in a in a religious direction. But obviously, this is this is part of who I am. And so I don't want to to shirk away from these questions. Obviously, I'll, I'll give opportunities for people to feedback to me later. So do please ask me questions if you want to know more about where I stand on these things I'm very open to talking about them I didn't think this is where the podcast was going to go but hey ho open favourable sorry to progress or reform as in political or religious affairs the foundations shouldn't change but the church itself needs to reform because mistakes have been made serious mistakes have been made because men are fallible And as men, they have made serious mistakes. So I'll just leave that there, perhaps for a future podcast. So I'll skip down a few of these and and just pick out maybe another one for discussion. Free from prejudice or bigotry. Tolerant. Free from prejudice or bigotry. That's not a bad thing, is it? Free from prejudice or bigotry. Obviously, prejudice is is an interesting word. I think prejudicial action can be difficult to to grapple with. Prejudice is is almost impossible to avoid. We, we are making judgments about people we have never met based on broad generalizations. Because, as human beings, we seek defined patterns in our life and unfortunately this leads to prejudice but i think as a liberal we seek rationally to to counteract these natural inclinations within ourselves to f- seek to find the good in everybody to seek to ignore those prejudicial views that we might go into new relationships with. To set a fair and equitable baseline for relationships with people. And then we get on to the nouns. Obviously as a liberal, it is also a noun that can be used to describe an individual, Uh, I am a liberal, a person of liberal principles or views, especially in politics or religion, or a member of a liberal party in politics, especially of the Liberal Party in Great Britain. Now, interestingly, uh, the Labour Party was born out of the Liberal Party in Great Britain, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about the history of the Labour Party mainly because I'd love to learn more about the history of the Labour Party and and to have to talk about something it would only be right to learn about it first so I could discuss it so I like all of those definitions so moving on democracy democracy is an interesting one if you study ancient Greek which I did very briefly or you study the philosophy of the ancient Greeks democracy is not so it's not held in as high an esteem as perhaps we do. It's it's well thought of, but it's well thought of only really because it is it is understood for the benefits that it brings At its root, we have demos, meaning people, and kratos, meaning power or rule. But demos, which people often translate as people, I was taught was more meant as mob. Not people as in all people, or like a a broad generalization of people in general, Or it's ruled by a group of people, whoever that group might be, uh, like a non-general group of people. My grammar, by the way, is absolutely terrible, so I don't actually remember any of the particular names for these types of groupings. But Demos, as I understand it, refers to a mob, like an an (laughs) an unruly grouping determined by some classification of in Athens at least ownership of land or property in this case potentially slaves so it was it wasn't aristocracy ruled by the aristocrats it wasn't monarchy ruled by the monarch it was it was something else but it wasn't what we understand as democracy but this isn't the democracy that that we have, and I don't think it's the democracy that I value. For me, democracy is a principle that is important from an individual out, similar to what I was speaking about with a liberal. As a liberal, you attempt to to limit, through your use of reason, your own prejudices. As a Democrat, you seek to limit your innate tendencies to take control by only taking the control allotted to you by the ballot. Whether that is granted to you by a ballot of the people, whether that is the control allotted to you by casting a ballot... And you tie, as much as possible, important decisions of your life to this ballot process. And the important thing is ballot, not necessary votes. Ballot, to me, is about secrecy. The closed nature of not knowing who cast for who. Who voted for who. Who cast their ballot. Against whose name, who spoiled, who didn't necessarily cast their vote, although in the u k we tend to know who didn't vote and who did vote, so democracy and the ballot is the source of of power, and I think that that is is a really important principle for me, and the way that that the way that that lives itself out in me is that i I would want to see. A formal vote take place, or a unanimous decision met, m- found. Now, where this doesn't take place most often, as you could probably understand, is in the workplace. But thankfully, I work in a university, and I work in a place where it's a very collegiate atmosphere, where I'm favoured as a specialist in my field and so I'm given quite a lot of autonomy to to make decisions for myself. But there's no real process of democracy. So I have to really I really have to kind of understand that I that, that, that I have to put those tendencies to one side. But that's fine. You know, that that's not the place for it. You know, we don't have democracy in the workplace. In most workplaces at least. But we do, in political parties, or at least in the Labour Party, at every level. We do when we cast our ballots for our elected officials, at County Council, at District Council, at uh, Police and Crime Commissioners, and for our Members of Parliament. And so how this democracy can be expressed outside of the ballot is important as well. Because democracy doesn't, that recognising that the power is in the ballot, doesn't just mean that that is the only place that the power is gauged. It's not a process by which uh, the election happens and then bang, nothing happens until the next election. Government does what it likes. Exe- all executive authorities granted to the government for a period of five years do what you like. The power resides in the people, and it is exercised through the ballot, granted to the government. The government exercises the power granted to it by the ballot, the power of the people granted to it by the ballot. And that means, that means that the people can express themselves throughout the period of government and say, you're doing the wrong thing, or you're doing the right thing, change your ways, or carry on and they should they should do so meaningfully they should do so respectfully they should do so with an understanding that business needs to be done and they should do so where possible lawfully but that's a two way process the government must also do so lawfully openly, transparently because at the heart of this democracy that I believe in is freedom of information so that The people who have the power, government, by the people, getting back to the definitions which I'll read out in a moment, the people who have the power, exercised through the ballot, they can hold the government to account. And the more that we get away from the filter of large media, the better, truth be told, the more that the vested interests of the large media groups get out of the business of trying to hold government to account, the better. Because they are incapable of holding government to account for the people. Because those media organisations are not of the people. I'm one voice. I can hold the government to account only through the power of my ballot and through my voice. If you listen to me and you agree, wonderful. Those media organisations should have the same reach, but they don't. Because they are granted, by the power of government, in a twisted roundabout way, licence to print what happens to be, in a lot of cases, not very accurate information and we want it we the people want this not very accurate information and unfortunately money talks so there's, a, there's a, um, a conflict there between the forces which we ask to hold our government to account large media aren't the right forces to do it we the people are the ones that should do it and they act as a filter But anyway. Back to the definitions. Democracy. Government by the people. A form of government in which the supreme power. Is vested in the people. And exercised directly by them. Or by their elected agents. Under a free electoral system. Government by the people. A form of government in which the supreme power is vested in the people. And exercised directly by them. Or by their elected agents. Under a free electoral system. Now. For a while. I didn't believe we lived in a democracy. But by this definition, we do. Perhaps. We kind of don't, but we kind of do. We live in a constitutional monarchy, but we live very close to what could be a democracy. Supreme power is vested in the people and exercised directly by them. Now, power... Supreme power is vested in the people, but it's vested in the people by the Queen by the monarch. She grants us that power. That gripes a little. I I grew up thinking the monarchy was a wonderful thing. I grew up thinking that they they just sat there, looked pretty, they had nothing to do with politics. And recently more and more I've I've come to learn that they're getting involved and that hurts I feel betrayed as someone who believed that they were worth it for this country and I no longer really believe that they are I have nothing against them personally I believe actually most of them are some of the most principled and exemplary individuals this country has produced but as a principled man I do not wish to be subject to a hereditary monarch if i am if i am to be ruled over i wish to choose my ruler i was happy to have a monarch a hereditary monarch on the basis that they did no ruling that they had no power and more and more more and more it is being shown that they have power that they are part of the establishment and that they, that they exercise that power, both Her Majesty and Prince Charles, and that saddens me. So, I think we are close to a democracy. A state of society characterised by formal equality of rights and privileges formal equality of rights and privileges I, I love this country for the equality of men and women homosexual and straight, disabled and able-bodied and all the other categories that I would love to be able to list but can't off the top of my head I love it I love the work the campaigns, I love the work that's been done at a political level and no doubt there is lots more work to be done I think the the framework, the political and legal framework is there. But I think more work needs to be done implementing that. And I think that's a generational challenge. But I love this country that we are on the road to being a society characterised by formal equality of rights and privileges. Formal equality. Informal equality isn't there, but we have formal equality. I love it. And I think we should be proud to live in a country that has that. And we should be one and all all defenders of those formal rights and privileges that grant equality to our fellow men and women. We should be proud defenders of those rights and privileges. Because they are the bedrock of our democracy. Because if the people do not have equality then they do not have power they do not have power all of us need to be equal and it's great talking because topics for conversation are coming up all the time equality of opportunity is not necessarily equality and I'd love to talk more about this another time sometimes it can be but there is again in that a conflict and part of politics is about finding these conflicts and seeking to find a resolution which brings about a real world resolution where people can be satisfied. So equality of opportunity unfortunately can sometimes be used as a mask to hide the excesses of privilege not always but sometimes so always be on your guard and we'll talk about this another time I think because I have to move on socialism socialism more so than liberalism I think is much maligned especially across the pond shall we say in North America but it it doesn't get that much of a fair crack of the whip over here in the United Kingdom either to mix my idioms massively and I apologise to anyone who doesn't understand. Socialism, let's, let's take a pause. Hello, my name is Matthew Luke and I am a socialist. There we go, I've got that out of the way. It's important to start with a confession but socialist probably doesn't mean what you think it means socialism noun a theory or system of social organization that advocates the vesting of the ownership and control of the means of production and distribution of capital land etc in the community as a whole or procedure or practice in accordance with this theory Or, brackets in Marxist theory, close brackets, the stage following capitalism in the transition of a society to communism, characterized by the imperfect implementation of collectivist principles. Let's get this one out of the way. I am not a Marxist. Let's say it again. I am am not a Marxist I am a socialist and what is more I am a democratic socialist I believe that all assets all assets should be held for the common good mine yours the corporation down the street the government's everybody's should be held for the common good. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't make a profit out of them, necessarily, because just like power, supreme power, is vested in the people in a democracy, the common good is sometimes best served by those who hold the assets, benefiting from holding the assets. That's the basis of interest. And the principle of democracy, one of the principles of democracy, almost dilutes one of the potentially worst excesses of one of the principles of socialism, uh, that centralising principle of socialism, this thing that people get very worried about in the community as a whole, and and the of the ownership and control of the means of production in the community as a whole and they see that as a route to centralization it doesn't necessarily mean uh centralization if we can have a government a democratically elected government with power delegated to it through the ballot by the people then likewise we can have assets held in the common good by the people because those people have the supreme power and likewise, you can have corporations holding assets in the common good, because those corporations are made up of people who hold the supreme power. Democracy and socialism go together very, very well. But socialism is important because it defines the type of democracy I want, the direction of travel. It's not a democracy whereby I seek individuals to have freedom to empower, have power over other people or a democracy whereby we should press our might against other countries. That would go against really the international elements of the socialism that I believe in especially the liberal elements of the socialism that I believe in because we are after all against prejudice or bigotry you know we're all human beings but I do believe that that this phrase that I've used quite a few times the common good is at the root of so much that is important to socialism and it's a word of two words which I read in Christian theology, specifically Catholic theology. Thomas Aquinas writes about it, that all things are created by God for the common good. And I don't want to go, as, as I've said, I don't want to go too much into my faith, but it's interesting that this word... Socialism can mean so many things to so many different people. I find such solace in this word. To me, it evokes these feelings of of common good, of cooperative living, of tempering the worst excesses of capitalism. Perhaps you'd say destroying capitalism. Only if capitalism is defined in such a way as to require itself to be destroyed by my idea of socialism. Actually, on a personal level, I don't think if my idea of socialism was brought about, people would see much difference between the lives they lead now and the lives they led under what is ostensibly a capitalist system. I don't want to see the death of money. I don't want to see public ownership of families. You know, I don't want to see, um, you know, communal farms. I'm happy, as I say, with private property held for the common good. And, and the way that we determine whether things are held for the common good is through things like public liabilities and and our legal system. And we have those things already in a wonderful capitalist system. My job is to read contracts and to explain contracts to people and although I've only been doing it a little while I've found that I really really enjoy it now this is one of those times when my work life gets to intersect with my social life I suppose you could call this because I wanted to talk very briefly at the end of this first podcast very very briefly um, before I get on to the attributions and uh, the kind of end thing that I'm, I'm going to to tack on to the end here and the feedback and the goodbyes uh, to talk very very briefly about Creative Commons and the Creative Commons licence everything I publish my blogs and uh, this podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons licence I choose that, because I value free culture. I want to say thank you to people who might want to use this for whatever reason. I I don't want to say, these are my words and you can't use them. Ultimately, they're just words. This is my voice. And... To be honest, people are going to use it anyway. If they if they want to use my voice for something, they're going to use it anyway. And I would rather be cognizant of that and choose a license which accepts that that is the case and grant them those freedoms in exchange for, uh, in this case, attribution and share alike. Pass on the love, essentially. Now, I've managed to find some music which is shared in a similar way which is brilliant and the artist is absolutely amazing. Now, oh, I feel, I should, I should say that the artist is absolutely amazing and I would very much like it if anybody who appreciates this podcast takes the time, just five minutes to, to go over to joshwoodwood.com Have a listen to some of his music. Spend a bit of money if you feel so inclined. And tell him that I sent you. It's... Well, it takes me a little bit of time. To put this podcast together. And the website and things like that. It... I can only imagine took Josh... Hours upon hours upon hours upon hours... To put together the music that he put together. So I can only say thank you. A heartfelt thank you to him for not only putting the music together because the music is wonderful but but giving it away selling it but also giving it away that means a lot so do support josh and do have a look at creative commons it's it's easy to think that it's easy to think that we can just get by by stealing it's easy to get by thinking that we can just go up to Google, find some music and just whack it up however we wish. But do be aware that photos, for example, are being checked now on websites by uh, machine learning systems for copyright infringements and legal letters are being sent to the owners of websites. I'm sure music is similarly being targeted. Do be conscious, if you are a publisher of any variety, of the the licence under which music or images or, or or any creative media has been shared. Because I suppose really we're creative people too and we would want our wishes to be respected. As listeners, I know I know it's different. You know, you just want what you want. I get it. (laughs) I really, I honestly, I honestly do. I suppose, in a way, just take a moment to try and look for alternative sources if you feel so inclined. Don't necessarily go for big brand streaming services every time and just get locked into your little walled gardens freemusicarchive.org for example has loads of free music free as in free of charge free beer as the uh, saying goes gratis that you can listen to it's shared under a variety of different licenses and that's actually how I found Josh Woodward so you can just go down there have a listen uh, and through that you can hit, hit places like Bandcamp or Soundcloud and The internet is a wonderful place for sharing, so thank you to all those that do this already. I'm probably late to the party and um, you're all way ahead of me. But if you're not, check out some of these services, have a think about the licences that you might use. Thank you very much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to this microphone for quite some time now. I'm probably going to have to go back and cut quite a lot. Hopefully this whole thing doesn't end up in the bin. If you'd like to get in touch, please do. I'd really like to hear from you, uh, even if this is years in the future. Hopefully I'll have put out numerous podcasts uh, from now until the future. That af- After all, this is... New Year's Day that I'm recording this, Um, although there's one or two technical things I need to sort out uh, on the website before I can upload, so I'm not entirely sure when that's going to happen, but I wanted to get this recorded on New Year's Day so it was a New Year's resolution to, uh, to record. So here we go, New Year's resolution 2016, record podcasts. So If you want to get in touch with me, uh, the website is ireadmanifestos.co.uk My email address is matthew.w.luke at gmail.com My Twitter is at Luke And that's about it for now. Thank you very much. The excellent music included in this podcast is not my own work. It is the work of Josh Woodward of JoshWoodward.com. The original elements of this podcast are licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License, available at creativecommons.org. Thank you very much for listening.
1: Altered from the sunlight in the shade beneath the tree We hide behind the shadows like an orphaned refugee The apple tree of knowledge shed its fruit along the way The injury is fading but the hunger is here to stay until the day When there's no memory of what virtue, the question is a sin, is there no remedy for the state that we are in? With knowledge on a leash, it's like a terminal disease, and we won't be awake to see that we are paid